Welcome to the Business Sense with Brad podcast, where we talk about trends that impact businesses and nonprofit corporations. For more information, go to businesssensewithbrad.com. At a time where labor participation is at an all-time low, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, don't you need a resource that will help you motivate your workers, or perhaps even yourself? Check out the Motivated Worker book, written by yours truly, Brad Ward. It's available at Amazon, Bookshop, or McFarland. This book is double-blind peer-reviewed, but yet written in a clear and concise way, so you can make your workforce happier and more engaged today. All right, so on the, today's episode, we have Logan Burns, uh, who is an NFL PA agent. He also has a master's degree in business from University of Cincinnati. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so welcome aboard, Logan. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, well, before we jump into this, I want to get a little bit of your backstory because most business students either go to work for, you know, uh, try to crawl their way up through a corporation or they go try to run a small business or something. And you took a unique route into the NFL uh, agency business, if you will. So can you kind of give us a backstory and how you even got interested in this? Yeah. So the NFL agency business is something I've always wanted to do about all, going all the way back to even my sophomore year of high school. Um, it's something where, you know, kind of looked in the mirror and was like, I'm probably not going to be playing professional sports myself. So how can I be involved in sports? What way can I make an impact not only in the game, but on lives? So and you were, you played tennis, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I played, I played a little bit of football in high school along with tennis. And then, and then how I ended up at Milligan um, was I, uh, I made it there by playing tennis. So, so yeah, um, got to undergrad and realized, you know, to become an NFL agent, you actually have to get a graduate degree in order to be even eligible to take the NFLPA agency exam for certification. You have to have a graduate degree. It doesn't matter what it is. You can get it in watercolors. You can get it and you can you know, get a business degree, get a law degree, get anything. You just have to have a graduate degree. So, you know, I got to Milligan, realized my grades coming out of high school weren't the best. Kind of got lucky with an athletic scholarship and uh, and really had to get my grades up, and make sure I made it to grad school so I can make this a possibility. So that, that, that was the next step was doing that. Um, and then once I got my grades up at Milligan and, and really kind of, you know, worked my tail off to make some opportunities happen, then I was able to uh, be eligible for for grad school and then the exam. All right. So where actually, where do you go to take this exam? And is there any other prereq other than a grad degree? So where you normally would go is would be Washington, D.C. That's where the uh, Players Association is based from or based out of. But because of COVID, it was online and they had to set up a software. So my exam actually got delayed a whole year. So I studied for like 10 months and then they turned around and said, yeah, we're not doing it. So, yeah, nice, huh? So, yeah, I paid all this money and uh, like up front and and went to go take the exam and study for that long. And then they were like, nope, um, you're going to have to wait until next summer. So oh, I waited brutal. a whole year again. So, yeah, I took one month off and then studied for 11 straight months again. So, yeah, so so that ours was online. And normally it's a very uh, different exam. It's, it's all application-based, but it's application-based in relation to everything from the collective bargaining agreement between the players and the ownerships or, or the league. Excuse me. Um, Essentially, it's 60 questions. You get three hours, completely open book. So everything is like it, it, it could be a question about, let's say, a player's contract. You know, it could be, you know, team. Let's say it says Chicago Bears draft player A in the first round of the NFL draft. Um, he makes it through his first three years 
what must what must the team decide on? And the answer would be his, his fifth year option. They have to exercise his fifth year option, whether they want to keep him or not for that that fifth year. Um, or it may be a question regarding the amount that he's going to earn. It may be a question on, you know, player A plays the first six games of the season, then player A, you know, breaks his ankle and is out for the remainder of the season. So the team places him on the injured reserve list. How much did the player A make during that season? And you got to calculate it out because there's like split contracts and all these different kinds of contracts where if a player gets hurt, he makes a lower amount. So then you got to calculate that out and pick pick out more out of the the trick answers. You got to pick out which one's the actual. Well, so what well, and it seems like legalese wise or what have you, do most uh, players do they pick someone with a, a let's say an undergrad or a grad degree in law perhaps or does that like I guess what if they were finding an agent what do they normally look for is it just who can get you the best contract or do they care about that? Yeah, so so it's it's really interesting. Um, so. Generally speaking, everything's kind of shifting towards marketing now with all the NIL stuff going on in college and, and the you money go you can in, make. Yeah, we'll, we can uh, circle back, if you will, to NIL yeah, yeah, and talk we about can, what that means. Yeah, we, we can, can talk about it now. I don't that. care either way. Yeah, so so NIL, it's all about the name, image, and likeness of players. And it's basically the ability of college college uh, athletes to make money off off their name and and off their talents. Essentially NIL is this brand new thing and agencies are starting to, you know, reap the benefits of it and try to pull guys pull guys in early rather than just recruiting them for a couple of years or a year. They're starting to realize that they can maybe even sign them as NIL clients and then shifting it to a NFL, an NFL client once they reach that draft point. But, you know, another thing we've also seen is a lot of players are scared off from doing that because essentially what agencies are going to do is they're not just going to sign these kids for, you know, six months. They want to sign these kids, you know, for for 12 months. They want a year-long contract while these guys are in college trying to get that money. And honestly, it's agencies not going to make a lot of money on the NIL stuff unless it's a big-name quarterback like C.J. Shroud or Will Levis or a guy like that. So generally speaking, on a normal college football player that's going to go in the middle or late rounds of the draft, you're not going to make any money on the NIL as an agency. You're just doing it as a crutch to get you to that point to sign him as an NFL client. Or like a lineman. What are the odds of linemen's yeah. well, NIL? Exactly. Yeah. It's like, like you know, we we met even with a guy this year. We ended up not signing him from Ole Miss, and he'll probably be a top – I would say he'll for sure be a top 100 pick. There's a good chance he could be a top 70, top 75 pick. And – you know, he really didn't have any. He had no interest in NIL. He didn't even, you know, didn't even really want want anything to do with it. So there are a lot of guys like that. There's guys that have even told me that they've ghosted two or three agencies because they wouldn't stop calling them about repping them for NIL. So yeah, you get you get a lot of agencies out there that get pretty pretty hungry and they don't mind calling you over and over and over again, you know, multiple times a day. Um, but the way we kind of do it at JL Sports, which is the agency I'm with now. Um, is we're really casual about it. It seems really weird to do this, but we're really open with the guys. We want to get them sweet deals, and you know we we want to be you know a good part of their process. We don't want to freak them out in any way. We don't want to scare them off from entering the draft early if that's the right decision. So what we do is we we just get them deals. If they say yeah, give me some deals, then we'll go out. We'll talk to some of our good our good uh, our good contacts in the business. You know, all around whether it's state companies, jewelry companies whoever apparel companies and we can get some packages put together and we'll hand deliver it to them when we next time we see them 
the guys seem to really like that. So take us a little bit further onto your pass. So you get your, you pass your exam and then what happened to get into the biz? Um, you've told us a little bit about who you work for now, but what was your path to get hired, yeah. if you will? Sure. So actually, it was while I was at Milligan, I started working for an agency. It was uh, it was actually like a couple of days before Thanksgiving break, senior year. And uh, I had been talking back and forth with an agent for, I'll oh, shoot, probably eight, nine, maybe even 10 months. Um, just kind of like one or two messages a month kind of thing, like being very patient about it. He kept saying he might have something for me soon. And internships don't really come often in a, in the agency business. And most of the time when that happens, it's one one internship for one one person, you know, and it is like a two month span. Like it's generally like just in like this two or three month span, like during the summer. Um, I was lucky enough to have a uh, a mutual connection to the to another agent that played at the University of Cincinnati. And um, he reached out finally and said, hey, I got something for you. So I literally next day when I got home. Went out to lunch with him and I started doing graphic design for him that afternoon. Just no hesitations, just jumped right in. And I worked with those guys for three years, four years. Yeah, about three years. And I eventually made it up to become like their VP of their their VP of marketing. So I was running their marketing. Darnell Mooney, wide receiver for Chicago, was doing a lot of his marketing. Um, Some of our other guys, um, you know, whether it be Photoshop, you know, and doing like these these awesome designs, really creative, you know, a lot of blends and things like that and, and putting those in our, in our presentations for recruiting or whether it was, you know, getting apparel deals for Darnell or getting him supplements, you know, that was a big thing. We were trying to get his weight up when he was coming out his rookie year for his rookie year. Cause he didn't even weigh 170 pounds, you know, coming out of Tulane playing four years at Tulane. He's always been a light, a pretty light wide receiver. So it was my goal to get him as many protein supplements as I could. So that that was the year that we had over 40 companies represented in our training camp care packages, protein, apparel, you know, hydration supplements, liquid IV was, all, was always a great partnership for us. So, so yeah, that's where I got a ton of experience. You know, it uh, was a phenomenal internship. I could never ask for anything more. Now, not only on the marketing, but they let me do film, you know, the film study with those guys. They let me have my own column for my grade with scouts that we would talk to pro football focus, the other agents. Um, so, so yeah, so I was with them for a while. And then when I was studying for my exam, I had met this guy at the combine when I was down, down there with Darnell Mooney and some of, some of our other clients from Ascend Athletics and uh, just kind of talked with a few people in this seminar when, you know, we were learning about taking the exam ourselves and becoming agents. And, and uh, after that, I kind of just reached out to the guy who ran it and said, hey, can you get me all the contacts of the people that were there? So he sent me all the contacts. I just asked everyone who wants to study together. You know, the the way the exam's built, it technically is the highest percentile passes the exam. So we're all competition at, in the end. But I figured, you know, out of 300, 400 people, however many are going to take it, you know, if there's three or four of us that are studying together, it's not the end of the world. So reached out to a handful, you know, the group of 20 or so and a few guys got back to me and we all studied together for two years. So um, it was kind of a really cool opportunity to meet those guys. And one of them just so happened to be the son of an owner of an agency that's been in the business for 30 years. You know, his dad represents Will Shields, who was at the Super Bowl last night and uh, on the field and uh, Hall of Fame NFL lineman. So like, you know, b- big, big agency. And uh, he was the he's the guy that did the contract for Joe Flacco in Baltimore, $120 million deal. So 
Um, you know, when I when when I saw this opportunity, you know, when he was kind of joking with me while we're studying that I should join his agency, you know, it's like that sounds great in in theory, but I I know it's probably not a realistic possibility. And I'm not going to bring it up and ruin any chance of it happening. And then one day comes and he and we're studying, and he says that his dad basically kicked two agents out of his agency, or they left, and we're like trying to steal clients. So. Um, that got really interesting because one of those agents just so happened to live about 30 minutes north of me. So just north of downtown Cincinnati. So I was like, this is great because not only are they losing two agents and have some spots open for, for you know, for me and maybe, maybe another agent, but you know, there's a guy out of my region that's no longer going to be with that agency, which gives them even more reason to bring on, you know, some more firepower. So we end up passing our exam down the road just crazy in itself that we all passed all, you know, there was three of us that took it that year. And then the fourth one just took it and actually just passed. So all four of us passed and it's the exam when I, our year that we took, it was less than a 40% pass rate. So it's like super low, low pass rate, but yeah, we end up passing and I call up, I call up uh, the other agent, Nick, I call him up the next day and say, is that, that spot still open? And, you know, just, and just kind of feeling, feeling it out. And, he uh he said yeah and we he talked me through it for like probably an hour or two and um then I called my other agency and just said I'm gonna take like you know a little bit of time to think about it but I don't think I could pass this opportunity up and they straight up just told me they said it like that that seems like an amazing opportunity like definitely don't pass it up they're like we could we could give you a spot here but you know when you have a chance to join the seventh biggest agency in the NFL as your first year as an agent don't hesitate. So, so I jumped ship, you know, and, uh, it's, it's, I, it's definitely one of those things I've kind of always done. And it's why I ended up at Milligan. It's, uh, you know, it's, you just got to jump in the water. You never know. I, you know, I went to Milligan five hours away and knew no one, not one person. I think I sent one text to my, my first year roommate before we even met in person. Um, so, you know, you just got to jump in, you got to see what happens and, you know, it's sink or swim. So you got to, you know, you got to, you got to swim. You really don't have a choice. Yeah. I definitely feel the same way on the Milligan side. I didn't know anybody here. Yeah. Now my wife, her wife, my wife had a friend, uh, has a friend here, but when we moved here, I, I don't have a Milligan backstory, which a lot of our students and faculty sure. have. Yeah. So when they're like, Hey, professor so-and-so from back in the day, I'm like, I have no idea who that is. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I totally get that. All right. So now that you're working at this agent uh, or agency, who are your clients and how does it work? Like, do you have to go find your own or does like for, do any of them like come to the agency and they kind of get uh, matched up, I guess, or paired up with agents? How does that work? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting with that because it is different from agency to from, for each agency and it's different how they even structure their contracts all the way down to every detail can be different. It's such a su super fluid business. Um, so with our agency, the way we do it is we do every agent kind of does their own thing. You know, we're going to help each other out. If someone's like, you know, close to a region or we think it could be a good match for them, or if we think it could be, you know, a great opportunity for them as a young agent, or it's a better opportunity for maybe one of our, our, our more, uh, or more veteran agents to take on. And then, you know, we're going to help each other out with that. But for the most part, you know, we're out finding our own phone numbers, out finding our, you know, DMing the players, you know, any way we can get a hold of them, calling their mom, dad, grandma, any way, you know, whoever they live with, we're calling them, trying, trying to get a hold of them. So in, in terms of recruiting, that's how that goes. Um, as for who I represent, so my my player I represent in the NFL right now personally is Jacoby Francis. He's a defensive back for the uh, Houston Texans, 
And he actually played at Memphis. Uh, he was there for four or five years and, and started for his last three years there, I believe. And, uh, you know, a guy that put up great numbers, a guy that stayed healthy and really only had one, one major injury and put together a lot of tape and ended up getting a great undrafted opportunity with a team that's definitely got a depleted roster. And then he shows up his rookie year and they end up kind of stacking out their defensive back room. So um, he ended up on practice squad to start the year. And, after, you know, by the time they got halfway through the year, he he earned his his two. He earned a uh, enough active roster spots. Essentially, they elevated him four times. So when they elevated him the fourth time by the end of the year, they had to give him a contract or release him. So what they did was they end up signing him to a two year contract. So another great story, uh, you know, of another player that at least to start his career, Ended up at undrafted, ended up getting a, put on practice squad by the end of training camp and worked his way in and, and did just did really well. So excited for what uh, what his future holds down in Houston. And, you know, we've got some apparel deals and stuff for him now. So feeling feeling great about that. And, you know, it's kind of sky's the limit at this point. Nothing to lose. So what's the contract negotiation process like when, the you know, you've, you've got the, the player as client. And, you know, I guess you're the, I don't know if you're the middleman or if you're right next to them or how, I mean, what's the process like of the negotiation? Right. So that's going to be different as well for every player. It's actually really funny. You know, everyone always says like agents need to be lawyers, need to be lawyers. And they're pounding the table that they need to be lawyers. And then, you know, you sit down and look at the rookie contract and you open the CBA and the entire rookie contract is written in the CBA. You can't change it. It is the only contract Technically, that is like word for word, the entire length of it is scripted. The only thing you can really change is maybe some signing bonus terms. Like, you know, when you see some of your first round picks like CJ Stroud, if he ends up in Houston, Houston may say no, no skydiving, no scuba diving, no, you know, things like that. No motorcycles like, you know, you'll see you'll start to see some little tidbits like that. But the actual contract itself in terms of the the, the money that's slotted in, in that pick spot and, and the money that or and, and excuse me, the terminology throughout that contract, it's all already written and the collective bargaining agreement between the players and the league. So so with that, you know, there's not a whole lot of negotiating going on with the rookies other than maybe the signing bonus. And that's a whole different story with undrafted guys that I'll get to. That's probably the most fun time of the year. Honestly, it's stressful, but it's fun. But uh, yeah, other than that, for rookies, you know, you're not really negotiating a veteran contract until that contract's up. And all rookie deals, undrafted are three, and you can't renegotiate till after two years. And all drafted deals are four, and you can't renegotiate till after three. So, you know, you're waiting at least two years. And, you know, and if you have a first round pick, then, you know, there's always a chance they're going to exercise a fifth year option, which means that you, you're not renegotiating his deal until after the fifth year. You know, so it's it can be a whole crazy thing. And like I said, it's a fluid business. So you're constantly just waiting for like what opportunity arises to get them, you know, that veteran contract to maximize their value. So the so I'm assuming then the free agency is when things get more interesting on the negotiation side. Yeah, de de definitely with that. You know, we've uh, we've definitely had some interesting run ins uh, with some of our guys and. You know, one I always look, you know, one that's going to be interesting to see this year actually is with um, Darnell Mooney. So Darnell Mooney used to be represented by the agency I was working with. And then they ended up, they I, they end up splitting ways. I don't know what happened or whatever, but, you know, they end up parting ways. And it looks like he signed with a big agency. Can't remember which one it was. There's always a chance it could have been CAA. They're a huge agency. And uh, 
it'll be interesting to see what he gets. I don't know. Again, now that he switched agencies, relationships between an agent and agent or agency and the ownership, what the team needs. Um, it, it really just depends. Um, so that'll be an interesting one. But with, you know, with our current agency, we actually have a, a lineman that plays for, uh, or that we used to have a client that would plays for Carolina now, excuse me. And uh, we, we repped him out of college all the way through uh, his time in Baltimore. He started for four years in Baltimore as their starting center, Bradley Bozeman. And uh, solid player, you know, nothing, nothing crazy. But, you know, when you got four years of starting ability and, you know, a team's going to want you. And Baltimore offered him a solid deal, a solid extension. They wanted to keep him around. Um, and he ended up saying that was way underpaid. I don't want it. Ended up taking a one-year deal in Carolina and probably lost a lot of money. So sometimes your clients listen to you and sometimes they don't. You know, all you can do as an agent, you can't force them to sign on anything. It's up to them. But you try to guide them through the process and tell them what's probably the right decision based on your career trajectory and and, and things like that. But, you know, sometimes it can be frustrating. It could be a frustrating business. So, yeah, like you said, it's the free agency gets interesting. There's good, there's bad, and, you know, it all comes full circle. And you see a lot of a lot of guys, you probably see more of that on ESPN, that a lot of guys are switching agencies and trying to get that big contract. And, I don't, you know, I'm not sure what goes on with some of that because I've never had a guy leave me like that. But I would hope that, you know, my uh, my marketing deals and my my, my relationships throughout the throughout the business would keep keep some guys around. So yeah, I wanted to go into more of the, uh, you know, as an agent, are you responsible then just not for the negotiation of salary, but everything as far as like, if they were going to get into a movie or something or uh, mark marketing for sports apparel? I mean, are you the sole agent yeah. for all of so, that? So yeah, uh, most most agencies will do it that way. You know, you do have some agencies that structure it where you've got a marketing person, the contract person, this person. So the way our agency agency works is we have our owner that's on all the contracts so he's doing you know the base of negotiation things like that but you know we're all involved in the conversations and then i'm handling a, a lot of day-to-day -day contact you know marketing deals i'm you know going to talk to him about his contract if he has any questions about his contract things like that i i handle that actually great example he got a message from his uh, or a memo from his uh team uh last week i believe it was friday and he's like, hey, what does this mean? It was like this super long, like, obviously, they're going to make the language a little weird. Uh, it's just your, your your classic contract. And and uh, I, I read through it, just kind of just broke it down for him, just and broke it into a couple of different paragraphs. And and basically just let him know that since he, you know, signed a contract with a signing bonus um, as an undrafted guy, go, you know, he, he, he got a, excuse me, he got a, a nice signing bonus and ended up on practice squad and was on the practice squad for that amount of time. And then on the active roster, the team actually gets that signing bonus back. Now, if he would have gotten cut, he would get to keep that signing bonus if, he, if the team just like let him go completely. But, you know, the signing bonus isn't that big compared to what he actually made on the year. So it's not the end of the world, but. I would imagine he did not have a great Friday when he found out that he was giving, you know, when the team was going to pull that, uh, th that money back. And, and then, you know, he was going to go spend big money on a, on a nice tattoo, but, uh, <laughs> well, so, so that was more of a, if they would have done, they could have done X or Y they chose Y to dodge the signing. Is that pretty much what happened then? Well, so, so it's, yeah, so it's weird. So basically essentially it's actually more of like a player. It's, it's, it's almost like a player insurance. So, you know, they sign him, you know, they sign him active roster with their 90 man roster going into training camp. 
looking at the roster projection, it was it was projected that he was probably going to end up on practice squad. So they look at that and they say, okay, we're going to give you this, you know, this a lot amount, let's say 30,000. We're going to give you $30,000 to sign with us and you get that money, but that's just like you for sure have it if we cut you. But if you end up on our active roster or, you know, or stay on our practice squad and, and make more than that 26,000, if you make more, you know, anything more than that 26,000, then we get that, that money back. Oh, I got you. I got you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so once, honestly, so once he even got past like one game being on the active, he made, he made the money. So it right. was like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I misinterpreted. I thought you might, they were kind of moving him around from practice to not to get around owing him the, but you're saying as soon as you hit, as soon as you make that, then no. yeah. So either way, no. it wouldn't so, have mattered. So, yeah. so that's a whole different game too. And you'll see a lot of teams do that. Um, so Cole Beasley, Buffalo, that's like the, a big name example. My, yeah, I had him on my uh, fantasy roster. He didn't do jack the year I had him. But yeah, anyway. yeah. So, so yeah. So with him, so you saw, you probably saw like in the, you know maybe playoffs or maybe even before the or right before the playoffs, they were elevating him. Essentially, what they were doing was they were like had him at practice, but he was practice squad. He was just like you know he was like you know running with like the backups or whatever, and um, they just kept doing that because then they could keep him at a low a lower money or a lower salary amount. You know, I'm assuming it was at least, and they don't have to use a roster spot on him, but they can still activate him. So the best part about it is the way around the roster, you know, the roster size. Um, so what they were doing was they were just keeping practice squad, elevating him, and they can do that up to four times. Then on that fourth time, they have to decide if they want to sign him to the active inactive roster, right. which is your 53 man roster. So it's a great way for teams to kind of get around <laughs> actually holding a roster spot for a guy. You know, maybe a guy where they're still trying to get him healthy, or maybe it's a guy where they're trying to you know, figure out if he really has what it takes to, you know, to, to make it in this league. And it also could just be like, Hey, let's use our extra spots. You get up to two guys, you can elevate up to two guys every week. So why not? Why would you not use that? I mean, even if you elevate him, you can still make him inactive. If you end up, you know, maybe you have your, one of your top wide receivers, maybe they're hurt. So maybe you do need Cole Beasley to come up and then maybe that star wide receiver does end up playing. So then you're like, well, we really don't need that, that, you know, that sixth receiver anymore. So then you still elevated him, but you just make him inactive. Yeah, uh, that's it, interesting. The dynamics of all of that. There's uh, so much movement, and it's like a it's like a panic mode in agencies, like on certain days throughout the year. And one of them is like you know that Friday Saturday morning, and you're like, is he getting elevated? You're like kind of waiting for a call from your your client, and you're just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting. So just making the active roster is more money right off the bat, or do you have to actually play? Yeah, so active inactive, yeah, you're 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 getting more money. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Once you hit that active inactive, especially at, at you know, at the, your at your uh, at your 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 uh, your rookie deal, you know, your league minimum deal, let's just say your normal deal, um, it's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be much more money. So I believe off the top of my head this year it was seven hundred and five thousand if you were on the active roster the entire season. Okay. So quite quite a bit of money. Yeah. <laughs> quite a bit of money, not bad. And uh, you know, by uh by 2030, it'll it'll actually be over a million dollars as long as the cap continues to increase the way it's going. And then if you bounce in and out of ap- active roster, that's prorated, or is that how that goes? Yeah. So so yeah, the way it works is like you have a different practice squad, you know, salary amount, and you know, let's just say that's going to be between ten and twelve thousand dollars a week during the season. So still not bad money, but it's not you know that seven hundred thousand. You know, um, so the way actually that the the split contract works is the active inactive, 
you know, you're still making the money that you would make. The active and active makes the same money. You're on the 53 man roster. So you make that money there. So the 705,000, if you played on the active and active, even if you're inactive every game, you're getting your money. However, if you go to, let's say the IR, that's when it matters. So that's what a split contract is. Cause if you get hurt, then you're not contributing. So it seems like, well, we're not going to pay you $700,000 if you're not contributing. So what they're going to do is they're going to turn around and say, yeah, the lower amount on your contract says uh, 415000 So you're actually going to get 415000 this year. So it jumps that much. So like a guy could get hurt before the season even starts. Uh, you know, let's say it's a league minimum rookie. And instead of making $700,000, there's a company here, let's say $715,000, he's going to make 430000 Talking, talking about incentives to height injury. Uh, wow. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. So like, that's why you see a lot of NFL guys. They're like, they'll play with injury, you know, because they may have a split contract or they may have bonuses in their contract if they play a certain amount of games. So you see a lot of guys like grinding it out. So like, I was actually talking with someone that, uh, that knows T Higgins and, you know, was like talking with him about, he had like a really banged up foot this year and his toe was like completely black and blue. And he's like, bro, he's like, you know, talking to him. How, how would you, how'd you even play on that? He's like, you know, <laughs> when you're a rookie, you, you kind of, you know, I want to be out there one, you know, the Bengals were a great team this year. And, uh, but two, he's like, you, yeah, you got to play. All right. So what I wanted to do was just kind of ask, what are your normal job duties like each day beyond? Okay. So the contract part only seems like a small part of your job. Actually, it almost seems yeah. like you'd spend more time on either recruiting or marketing, I guess. Could you take us through a typical day? And does that change depending on where you're at in the season? It is almost all recruiting and how you go about that and how much time you spend on that is completely up to you. And that's something that's, that's kind of cool about the business and, you know, some people are going to spend a lot more time. Some people may travel cross country for the recruiting. Some people may keep it regionally, especially Cincinnati area. You know, even going to Knoxville is not that far. You're just going to drive a few hours and you're all the way down to Knoxville. And then, you know, you can cut right back up and you can hit Kentucky and you can hit University of Cincinnati and you may even stop over at Louisville. I've done trips where I've driven down to Memphis and then we drove down to Ole Miss and then we drove back up to Western Kentucky and then we got got back to Cincinnati. So you're really just depends on who you like as a, as, as a, uh, as a player. And do you think they could be a good fit for your agency, you know, based on their social media, maybe based on some of the film you see, you know, maybe it's even between plays or maybe it's a mic'd up version of, of, you know, of them with their, with their team. You know, uh, do you think, you know, their, their technique can develop? Do you think they can be, you know, an NFL, an NFL talent and, and, and really not not only be a great a great benefit to your agency financially but also be you know a great piece a great rec- recruiting to, tool for you in the future um, there's a lot of different uh, you know different things that uh, go into it and and like I said it's completely open so such a fluid business it's completely up to any agent on what how they want to go about it actually one thing that is really interesting too is most agents are actually even part-time a lot of agents are lawyers on top, you know, as well, or they're, um, they, they work some kind of marketing position. And, um, it, it, it just, it just depends, just depends on the person and, you know, maybe their financial situation or maybe they're again, their region, family, family, you know, do they have a family? Are they trying to start a family? And it, it just depends on, ev- on everyone's position. And that, I think that's what makes it fun. I think that's what makes it so natural. And it's not, it's not just this cut and dry, you know, nine to five, but, there are nights like I had a call uh, Friday night, seven o'clock. I had a marketing call. Now I'm sitting in my car 
just got out of the sauna and I'm sitting, I'm sitting in my car talking to some guy about, uh, about jackets from his company. Um, so you never know when you're going to end up, you know, working in the agency business, you may get a random call, email, whatever, you know, from a guy, you know, wanting to watch his film or, you know, wanting to, uh, connect and hop on a call. And heck, I even used to represent a guy from uh, out in California. And when I would talk to him, I always seemed to be at 11 o'clock or midnight. It could be like a Tuesday and I'd be up at midnight talking, talking with my client. Um, so it, it is a business that you never really, doesn't seem like you're on the clock, like, you know, minute for minute all day long, but it definitely seems like anything could pop up at any, any time. All right. I want to talk about two, just as all, kind of more off the cuff, but I wanted to talk about you being in Cincinnati when the DeMar Hamlin thing happened. Um, how, I guess, involved were you like, I guess, did you just feel like what the city was going through or since you're involved with the NFL, how did that whole thing uh, play out with you being so close to it? Yeah. So it's actually, you know, kind of crazy to say so close to it. I was actually fifth row, 50 yard line for when it happened. I was like, yeah, yeah. Well, I got, I got a connection, you know, for these tickets and obviously couldn't pass it up. So I was like, let's go Bengals, Buffalo, biggest game of the year. And I had Monday the opposite. Experience. I was getting my kids ready for bed. So I left, I was watching the game, <laughs> leave the yeah. room. And then I come back in my room and I'm like, what is happening? So I had it a was, totally different experience. But. And it was, it was one of the best NFL experiences all around and before, obviously pregame, you know, the Bengals and Buffalo for years have been, you know, Cincinnati and, and Buffalo, the cities have just kind of came together. And it all started with the whole, like when the Bengals knocked the, knocked the Baltimore or knocked, uh, knocked Baltimore off late in the year. It was the year the Bengals went like seven and nine and got Buffalo to the playoffs um, by winning that game. And it not, uh, yeah, it did knock Buffalo or Baltimore out. Yeah. So after that, the Bengals and the Bills kind of had two or three different trades throughout, you know, over a few years. And, and both teams are kind of just like bonded because we both kind of have experienced the same, you know, as, as cities with numerous Super Bowl losses each and, you know, nothing really to show for it in the win column. So we're both kind of feel for each other. We're kind of, kind of feel like the little brothers of the AFC that are finally kind of coming into their own. And uh, it was, it was really cool. The tailgates and everything, the city was buzzing. It's an 8 30 PM game. And there was people tailgating at 8 AM. Yeah. There was like lines to get in some of the tailgates at like six 30 for some of the lots. Like it is like wow. Cincinnati. Yeah, normally you're only what a few hours ahead on a for like so, a, a Monday night game. Normally your tail tailgates start what maybe three o'clock or something. Yeah, so like Cincinnati, like people are a little crazy about it. Like I know people that are setting up and it's still dark outside. Sun hasn't even come up yet. Like you know we're just like football junkies here, but um, it is really funny. To, it it was it was wild to see people for that game. Like I get on Twitter in the morning and people are already posting in the parking lots, and I'm like. The game's in 12 hours. Like, you are not going to survive. <laughs> so, no, we go to the game, and, you know, it's it, it was such a uh, – it was such a weird, emotionless moment. Like, you watch it happen, but in the stadium, you don't – you can't really see, like – he's on the ground. He's laying down. And I knew it wasn't good. When I saw him get hit, I said, he's out. Now I grabbed my cousin. I was like, he's gone. Like, he is out, out. And – Everyone just kind of sat there. They didn't say anything. We had no communication. It seemed like they, it honestly seemed like they cut the internet off. It could have just been everyone was on their phones, but like the internet was not working satellite or on their Wi-Fi. And normally it's like the Bengals are known for being like their Wi-Fi is like they could continue to upgrade it. It's like perfect. So it was really weird to have no internet in the stadium and no one had any idea what was happening for like 20 minutes. Everyone was just sitting there. 
So it was like a super awkward situation where we're trying to figure out what's going on, but we saw the ambulance come out and we knew like once we saw certain medics going out there with the um, performing CPR, we knew what was happening. And I think the biggest sign was Josh Allen's kind of reaction was when we knew it was like really, really bad because he walked like 30 yards downfield. It was like freaking out. So it was like watching him, like we knew it was not good at all. And like there was a chance this game was probably not going to resume. Walking out of the stadium was one of the weirdest experiences I've ever had in my life. Um, it was so quiet. It was it was literally like it was so bizarre. Like it just it I don't I don't know what to compare it to. It's just like so everyone was so emotionless. No one really even like people said like man like that sucks. Like it's a big game. You know we that would, that would have been a big game to win. Like we we're feeling good. The city was you know was was hopping. In that situation, you're just like. What, what do you do? <laughs> like, no, everyone just like, what, what do we do? It's like, it's not up to us. Our, you know, it's not up to our decision. It's up to Roger Goodell and the league. And, you know, it's just a completely emotionless moment where every, both teams were just, fans were just like, didn't even want to say anything. We all just walked out. And it's tough to know what to do. Um, You know, I, I think back, was it in the 70s, the Detroit Lions actually had a player die on the field and they basically... Yeah put him in an ambulance and kept rolling. And of course yeah. the pl- the players after were like, we shouldn't have played, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, that's tough too. Cause you got fans coming from all over, not just Cincinnati, but I'm sure you got people flying in and, you know, yeah. I mean, obviously it's, you got to rank a player's health, yeah. but it's like, what do you do? Cause it's such a, there was a, there was a guy sitting next to me. He actually uh, has season tickets and he lives in South Carolina, him and his wife, they drive in for every game. Yeah, so it's crazy. People, I mean, I actually there's a there's a one of the one of like the huge Bengals fans that runs some of the you know tailgates and like has like a Bengal fan club. He uh he actually flies up from Florida for every game. So you know there's there's fans all across the league that you know are traveling cross country to to watch their teams play and they just sleep, eat, and breathe it. Like that is what they like. That is what you know. Instead of going on vacations, they're paying for their season tickets and their travel to go to these games and hang out with their friends you know, that are part of those tailgates. And yeah, no, it's uh, the, the NFL is a whole different beast. I tell people all the time, it's, it almost feels like it runs part of America at times because it's just so big. It's just this billion dollar juggernaut. And like you, I mean, you see it on TV, they control, they pretty much control the TV ratings at this point. Like they can almost consistently now have 80 to 85 of the top 100 shows for the year every year well and it should get better now too with uh direct tv out of the mix and so now with google owning it who knows if they'll do single team or not but i think that'll nfl finally got out of the uh, the, yeah the bronze age or whatever oh i remember i was always big mad because <laughs> because they would always show the titans game and not the Bengals game and i'm like we're just as close to nashville as i am to cincinnati like can i get the can i get the Bengals game <laughs> and uh and I would have to go online and find a live stream somewhere. And obviously live stream sites are like hit or miss. And it's just, it's always going to buffer. It's going to be behind by two plays. You're going to have to, you know, refresh go through the, the page. pop-ups and who knows. Yeah. Go through the pop-ups, be. you know, yeah. Like exit out of like 15 pages and well, then then even, it's going to. Well, yeah. even, when, even when the lions played down here in Carolina, they didn't show the game. I'm like, are you serious? It's Carolina. They always <laughs> yeah. show Carolina. And the only time they play down here, they actually didn't even put them on TV. I'm like, are you serious? So yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad yeah, no. I, I'm hoping for good things with the uh, Google or YouTube getting them. I really am. I would I would think it's going to be really, really easy. They're going to make it very, very accessible, um, you know, just based on how like the NFL has kind of interacted with some, you know, maybe some of their apps like on 
on even like the place on on PlayStation and and uh, on on Roku and some and some of the, those you know where you can just click on NFL and see like highlights and things like that. It just seems very easy to use. So as long as they you know kind of use that those as models, I think it would be, I think it would be perfect. I'm pretty excited about it myself, honestly. You know, I don't. I, I'm a big NFL network junkie. Like that's what I like to watch. Um, when I, when I try to get my information as I go straight to NFL network. So I don't know how I'm going to get that. Cause you know, uh, I obviously don't know if I'm going to stick with, with cable, you know, depending on how YouTube goes about it, uh, or, or, or Google. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll see how it plays out and we'll make a decision on that. Well, cool. Um, I do want to talk about your personal things, but I want to, I do want to go to the NBA because, and this is personal because I actually did an episode earlier on it. Are NBA still relevant? And there's a there's always criticisms of NBAs, and there's the general there's the general track where you just get an MBA and you, you, it's like undergrad in a way, but you're taking like accounting, finance, economics, management. It's kind of a generalist, and the idea is for you to help be able to make decisions or see how decisions kind of interact. So it's, yeah. you don't operate in a, a silo and that's the specialized gets more down into the, like into, uh, you know, if, if you go specialized, let's say you focus mostly on accounting versus right. the generalist tract. And the, of course there's mixed ones that have the generalist plus a specialization that are like 45 credits. But there, of course the general criticism is that, you know, MBAs are just, I don't know, like, what can you actually do? Does it actually help any skill? And most people think technical skill, but they're, I'd say they're more soft skill or critical thinking skill as it applies to business. I guess, was there any benefit with your MBA at all, do you say? Yeah, so I actually feel like I benefited a, a lot from my program. You see um, Cincinnati has, uh, has been like a really growing program with their, with their business school. Um, they really have been like skyrocketing. I think after I left, they might've been considered a top 30 school. I could be wrong, um, but I or a top 30 MBA program. Um, so I feel, you know, obviously being at Milligan, we did a lot of writing and it was like a lot of like big, you know, 14, 15 page, nine page, eight page, you know, you get, you get in the real world and you start working a job and they're like, why are you writing so much? So like, you know, they were saying that to no, me. No, I after... always tell them to write concise. So I'm a, I'm yeah, a clear and yeah. concise guy. Get yeah. to the point. So, yeah, exactly. So so that's what was was great for me was I already, even after my MBA, did write a lot, but it was a lot less than I used to. So it it was definitely something, at least in that sense, definitely helped. Um, I also think, you know, just time to, I, I also feel like the way Cincinnati has it structured, it treated it much more or much less like school. And it was much more like we're adults, we all work like we're you know this is for our our careers and you know this is or this is for furthering our careers excuse me so i think i don't know if it was like because my program the people that were in my class they were all like they had almost all of them had had jobs before and then went back to school full-time to get and their MBA. at milligan we have a split track so you have the traditional which is essentially um students coming back for a fifth year if you will most sure. don't have work experience. And we have the executive where you have, you know, students that have been out maybe 20 years and then right. they're coming back. So it's uh, totally different vibes, if you will. It sounds like you have more yeah. of the executive people working and coming back. Yeah. So it, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was really cool because we had uh, multiple people come from being like nurses that were getting their MBA and wanted to do like health administration. And we had people that, um, you know, we had even people come from overseas and they were, you know, working family businesses and they came, came to, the, came to Cincinnati to uh, take the program for a year, year and a half. And 
you know, I think, you know, I came straight out of undergrad into that program. So like for me, like I was, you know, all in, like hadn't had work, really work experience yet outside of my agency interning, but it was, I think it was like a great, it was a great experience for me in terms of just adjusting to that career world, you know, being around people that, you know, were very career minded, um, being around people that have that experience and, um, you know, getting to do projects and, you know, like, I, I think that's another thing what I liked about the program was getting to work with those other people that have all these different backgrounds and then also getting to do these projects that all are like deadline based. It, was, it definitely seemed very work oriented and it wasn't, didn't seem like these like tiny assignments or a lot of exams. It was just a lot of projects. So the so, content does apply to what you're doing in, I mean, I'm sure not every assignment, but in general, the sure. content helps you. Sure. Like, uh, I mean, all the way through, like I, I left Milligan feeling like my presentation skills were good. And then I got to my MBA program and I felt like they were still good and I was confident, but I would still get kind of like a little nervous about it. But now it's like, I feel great. Like I can go talk, you know, in front of whoever. Yeah. It's uh, it, it definitely was just a great experience overall, you know, from the presentation skills to, I mean, some of the projects just kind of, you know, applying a little bit of stress to you and putting you in, you know, maybe some tight, tight windows and time and, uh, managing your assignment or your, your projects and um, maybe working with, you know, people with different backgrounds where, you, you know, maybe your decision doesn't align with theirs. And yeah, it, it definitely was a great experience. And obviously I lucked out and they built this beautiful business building at uh, on campus there and had like a brand new Starbucks put in it and all kinds of stuff. So like, obviously everyone was freaking out and, but uh, no, it was, it, it, it was, we amazing. need more Starbucks in our MBA yeah. program. So it's, I, 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 don't remember if it's the founder of Starbucks or if it's like the, the present day owner, but one of them went to UC either for under or for undergrad or their MBA. And every, almost every building that you see, almost every academic building has a Starbucks in it. Oh, okay. It's like very strange. There will be like one and then like you walk a quarter mile, a quarter of a mile and there's another one. It's like, why do we, okay. but Hey, you know, when you're, like if, if you if you're actually on campus there, they're you know they're building all these parking garages and the the, the student body uh, has grown like every year. It's been the highest student body in school history like three years straight now. So, you know when that's happening, you got to keep building Starbucks. Yeah, <laughs> so. keep them moving. <laughs> well, I guess uh, personal goals. I guess career wise, where do you say? I guess I don't know. I hate to do the five ten year thing, but just like, do you have right. immediate goals or within the next year, two years, five years? I guess sure. what's your plan? Sure. Um, you know, my plan is to continue, you know, doing, doing this, this agency career. And, um, you know, I don't know what other careers will pop up. You know, I, I did do digital marketing for a CPG broker for a couple of years as well. Um, I may jump back into something else as well and, you know, do two careers, you know, it's just, I'm one of those crazy people that needs to work a lot. Um, so, so yeah, I may do that. Um, kind of looking around for that, but, uh, but definitely going to continue my agency career. You know, that's something I don't think I'll ever let go of, you know, even if it never is something that's, you know, my, like what I consider my day job, or maybe it's never something I consider to be, you know, my, my 100% financial support, you know, um, it's something that I love to do. Um, it's a way for me to be connected to the sports world still. And, um, you know, it, it's definitely something I just get up and I may get excited about a marketing call that I have or what, setting up one or, you know, even a meeting with a potential client. Yeah. I, I, my, my goal is just to keep continuing it and, you know, just kind of see where it goes. You know, I'm not, I, I'm definitely applying some pressure on myself to get as many clients as possible, but in such a tough industry, but, uh, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit here and 
and say like, I have a deadline by the end of next year, I better have this amount or I'm quitting. You know, it's not anything like that. It's, uh, it's definitely just all positive and, and want to be involved. And I'm sure, I'm sure the draft right now, is this an exciting time? Definitely exciting time. You know, we end up signing Sean Tucker from Syracuse, which is a, a pretty big name running back was considered a top five running back. So I'm um, really excited about his prospects and, um, and some of our other guys. So, you know, at this point, it's kind of a dead period. This is a time where a lot of agents may, you know, take a, a quick vacation and um, come back. And then, you know, they may take another one right after the draft. But generally speaking, you, you know, you're trying to get them set up in their new cities. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how all this plays out. But, you know, I've already started recruiting for 2024. I've been recruiting for 2024 since, since honestly, the week before bowl week. So, yeah, like all the way back to like, early, you know, December, like <laughs> long time, long time. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's crazy how agency business works and trying to stay ahead of the game. And, you know, some guys recruit guys for two years, some guys recruit guys for a couple months. It just depends on the guy. It depends on when you get a hold of them and what kind of impact can you make in that time? Hey, I really appreciate your time. Logan. Yeah. 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 We'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. All right. Cool. Take care. See ya. Yep. Peace. See ya. That concludes our episode, and if you'd like a non-financial way to really help the podcast move forward, I ask that you subscribe both to the YouTube channel, Business Sense with Brad, and on there I promote the short versions of these episodes, and then also subscribe on your favorite podcast app.